source of true delight, whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. Good morning. If you, uh, if you will turn in your Bible, if you want to look this morning, we're going to look at two short verses in the book of Hebrews. The blue Bible in front of you has got it on page 1009. You want to turn there? Darwin will be back uh, in two weeks to continue in Judges, which I look forward to. This morning, we're going to just take a few verses out of Hebrews. It's chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. This is God's good and kind word to you and I this morning. The author of Hebrews, and God himself says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Say us the word to bless His word in our time. Let's pray. Father, again, You have provided much and we long to be content. And so we ask You to abide with us now through Your word and through Your spirit and show us Jesus and Your best provision uh, that we might know that peace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. pretty short text, and it's not going to be all about money, actually. As a matter of fact, most of it's not, and I'm going to tell you why. But it is kind of us spending a little time talking about contentment this morning. I've taken four trips to Peru over the years, and they've all actually been to the same place. And the first time was meeting this older couple, Bob and Sue Woodson, who I just got a letter from the other day, which means I think they've been on the mission field for like 50 years now in Peru. Uh, but my first trip down there was um, what you would think, overnight flight to Lima, everybody, students and myself kind of cranky and tired, sleeping on duffel bags in an international airport somewhere, and in bounces this older gentleman who was older at that point, and kind of like says, okay, everybody get up, kind of smiles, throw your stuff in the back of these pickup trucks, we're going to take this dusty ride through the city of Lima in the back of this pickup truck, and you're going to inhale gas, fumes, and dust, and it's going to be fun. And you're like, why are you so happy about that at 6 in the morning? And we get on a plane, and we fly up into the mountains of Cusco, and we land, and I spend a week with this uh, man, Bob, kind of working. And, you know, he's an interesting fellow. And about the sixth day, his wife flies up to meet us. And she gets off this plane and he kind of like runs out there and grabs her in his arms and gives, plants a big kiss on her and 
you're kind of like, hey, okay, great. I'm glad, you know, you're glad to see your wife. But it was obvious that he liked, you know, that he really had affection for his wife. They hadn't seen each other in six days. And so we spent the few days with them and they're really fun people. And we take a, the plane back down to Lima and the last night they throw this party. And at the party, they've got neighbors that they know and a couple other missionary families and my team of 15. And we're all scrunched in their little living room. And uh, this is the thing I remember. Bob and Sue sitting in the corner of their living room scrunched in. And they're telling stories with one another. And they're telling stories about kind of being on the field early days in the mountains with no electricity and scrapes with people who were kind of after their life and the narrow escapes. And then they were telling kind of good stories of the church being built. And at one moment, I remember looking around and there are 25 people around the table. And I'm going to tell you, there weren't two plates that matched. And there were like Dixie cups and chip glasses and a wine glass here and a, you know, a, a plastic mug here with Bugs Bunny on it. And you, right, just weather-worn chairs. In, but this party kind of goes late into the night and people are laughing and drinking and eating and talking and having this fun time. And it, I, I don't recall articulating what I saw there, but I knew I kind of wanted what they had. Now, look, they are normal sinners. They fought. They had scrapes. They had disappointments. They had moments where they were really sad about their condition. But I think what I saw there that night was two people who were learning contentment in a world that God had set them in. And I think that what the author of Hebrews is trying to call us to today is this idea of contentment is the people of God. And the first thing I want you to know is the context at which he calls the Hebrews, right, the church at this point, into being content. Because if you know anything about the time of, time of the Hebrews, this is what the people were like at this point. The author has spent 13, 11 chapters beforehand describing for them the glories of Jesus because they were people who were beginning to be pressed, hard-pressed for following Christ. This is some of the pressures that they faced. They were a people who had actually forsaken their Jewish heritage for following Jesus. Which is interesting because if you know anything about it, they lived in neighborhoods that were family related. So all of their families were around them still living and they had parted ways, some of them with this, to follow Christ. Which means they had ostracized a large part of their community. They were now outsiders. It was as if you who have been born and bred in Texas kind of took down the Texas flag and dumped it in the trash can and the tail of that flag was still sitting out on the corner as you drug it to the curb. And my guess is there are some neighbors who might be a little put out at your lack of loving for the state of Texas at this point. You are now on the outside in your community. They had forsaken family and the people they know. 
There is a pressure that comes with that in following. And another part of their context is not only were they losing community, they were losing influence because they were the leaders of the church. But in the in the kind of preceding years, all these strangers started coming into these church, all these people who didn't look like them, all these Gentiles. And they were actually beginning to ascend to influence and leadership in the church. So not only were they losing their community, they were losing their power base. They themselves were becoming not as important in the leadership of the body. So they're losing community. They're losing influence. And they're actually beginning to face physical persecution from the Roman government. So they're beginning to face pressure for following Jesus. Their property is beginning to be taken and they're being imprisoned. And if you look back at chapter 10, he says that, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. And they begin to look over their shoulder at this point and wonder whether or not it is worth following Jesus. And it is right into that context of all the suffering and pressure that the author of Hebrews tells them that they are also to think about being content. Now, it's worth looking that the context there is to say that they had, you know, if you look at their context, you say they had fairly strong reasons to struggle with contentment, let alone following Jesus. And why does, why does the author of Hebrews Why do you know the context of their struggle? Why is that important? I would say one of the reasons that we get some of this background for them and their specific pressures is not so that you can feel guilty about not facing the similar pressures, right? Sometimes the church is an amazing people. We just love to feel guilty by comparison. As if the reason you get the context is that so you can feel bad about yourself because, hey, Buck up. You're not as hard of a place as they are. And I would say no. I would think the reason that the Lord gives you some of the context is so that you will know that the Lord is aware of the plight of His people. He knows their place. He knows the pressures that they're under. He puts them down in print because He's a God who sees you. He sees where you live. He sees the pressures you face. He knows what you're under. He's not unaware. And I would say there are real pressures pushing in on your contentment probably this morning. Hard jobs and hard marriages or no job. Or sickness or disease or embarrassing decisions or your own mistakes that that kind of shame and haunt you that make you want to protect yourself. Hard churches. Hard places. It may not be physical harm and it may not be prison for following Jesus at this point. But the pressure is on in this life. And it presses against our being content. And it presses us to demand and want more in this life than we're given. Which leads us to the call that is here in this text to be content. People of God, He knows your frame. 
He knows the very context that you're in this morning and the thing that presses in upon you to have a heart that is not content. He's aware. And he has not made a mistake at this point because by the voice of the author of Hebrews, he looks and he says, into those kind of pressures, this call, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And though the ESV translate this, the love of money, there is more behind it than simply the force of monetary things. There's actually a common translation of this text that goes something like this. Let your conversation or let your heart be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. So though he begins literally with this phrase, Keep yourself love of free from the love of silver. The force of the warding is stronger than that, is more encompassing than that. It is this idea that you and I are supposed to keep our lives free from this desire to always want more and more and more and more. And guarding the heart against wanting more and being content is the flip side of saying the same thing, isn't it? Be content is this idea of kind of guarding our heart against wanting more. Okay, let's ask what being content is not. And if that's improper English, I'm sorry. What is it not? Okay, being content is not a mute silence before God. Right? It is not an inability to pour out our hearts and our sorrows and our concerns and our deep desires before God. It's not, right, a, a stilted non-emotionalism that just simply has to salute and buck up and say, yes, sir, six bags, and how many more do you want? That's not what he's saying. Read the Bible. The Bible is full of the people of God who are free to pour out their sorrows and their hearts and their needs and even their wants before God. So it's, it's not, contentment is not mute silence before Him. Well, what is it? And I'm going to quote from an old, dead theologian who I think put it beautifully well. There's this sweet book by the guy by the name of Jeremiah Burroughs who wrote this book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. If you can plow through the, the wording, which is a little obtuse at times for us, it's actually a great read. He says it this way. He says, Christian contentment is a sweet, inward Gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal of our condition. Let me say that again. The idea that he's trying to get across in contentment is, is that it's this internal frame of heart. It is a sweet, restful disposition that freely will submit itself and delight in the fact that God is our Father and He deals with our condition in a kind and good way. He also says that the idea of contentment for us is, is a lowering of our desires to meet our condition. Actually, that contentment is actually a contentment by subtraction rather than by addition is the way he places it. I know I've used this before, I think, here, but 
I think it looks something like this. If I've told this story, it fits really well here, so come along for this ride again. I, I think um, Hal Farnsworth was an old campus minister for RUF at uh, Mississippi State and then Vanderbilt. And um, now he planted a church in Athens about 12 years ago, but he grew up in rural South Carolina. And he grew up in rural South Carolina in the kind of late 50s, 60s, 70s. And uh, they had help. And uh, Miss Anime House kind of says was a large part of their family life. And his mom used to let him go to her house at times. And she lived in uh, some low-income government housing. And it was the kind that was kind of like the old hotels where the doors were on the outside and the stairs were on the outside. And Al says he remembers going to her house one day and he was kind of going up the steps. And as he rounded the steps, he came upon this older woman in her apartment. And he looked in and she was obviously saying grace, eyes closed, unaware that this little boy was was standing there. And he said, as he came up the stairs, what she said stopped him dead in his tracks. He looked in and saw this woman in a room and their kitchen had three things, a a card table and two folding chairs. And she was had a can in front of her and a spoon in it. And she was saying grace. These are the words he heard this lady say. All this in Jesus too. All this in Jesus too. The contentment seems to be this inward frame of heart that believes that God in His fatherly care as He disposes of you and what you have and what you don't have is a good and kind care. All this. Jesus too. I think that's a pretty good summary of what it means to be content with what the Lord has given. And it's obvious that if we go to this, when He says, keep yourself free from the love of money, that we have to at least broach that subject for a moment, right? This is not false spirituality. You have heard me say this from the pulpit again. The Lord has blessed us as a nation. The Lord has blessed us as people. We should not feel guilty unnecessarily for the fact that God has blessed our labors or our wisdom or our efforts or our time. Or even if you were just one who your daddy built a great business and you were the one who got to receive it. We should not feel false guilt and shame about that. That's not what this thing is. But he is saying that you and I are to fight the temptation to always think that there should be more of it and that we need more, 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 more. And that can be our struggle. For some of you, it might be that what you do is you look around and you see people who are smarter than you, faster than you, and darn it, just nicer than you. And they have thrived better in life. And what you think is, if I could just have what they have. He's saying be careful about this desire for there always to be more because more will never, ever, ever be enough. 
And that willingness to entertain this sneaky thing that says there should always be more will actually be the undoing of your heart. But beyond money, I think we face this temptation to kind of always want more in a number of different ways. We look around, don't we, at the giftedness of other people or the sense of humor of other people or the influence of other people or the ability for people to command a room. Or if you're a kid, the athletic prowess of somebody else and you just think, if I could just be faster than that little fifth grader, I'd be the cat's meow, I'd have it all. Or that darn smarty pants who always wins the spelling bee and if I could just... If I could just be the one, all would be right with the world and with my soul and with me. And that's a lie. It's just not true. Sometimes we look around and and we see the ways that God has given people other things. I remember riding with my area coordinator as a campus minister years ago in the state of Mississippi, and we had just kind of gone to one of the RUFs that was kind of the flagship RUF in Mississippi, and there were 400 students there. And it is arguably one of the, I would say, maybe gifted preachers in our denomination. And it was 1030 at night, and we're driving back to Jackson, and Bebo and I are having this conversation and he's pumping gas, and I had talked about kind of my preaching out of my own insecurity. And Bebo, in an offhanded way, just looks at me and says, Keith, I mean, you know you will never preach like Brian Habig. <laughs> what he was trying to do was free me from this notion that if I just was like someone else, if I just had something else, if I was just... Like this, if my condition were different, if God had given me something else, my life would be whole and complete. People in the pew, if you just had elders that knew what the church looked like more than it should. Elders, if you just had congregants that just would do what you would want, life would be good. Your husbands aren't what you want them to be. Your wives aren't all you dreamed. Your children aren't perfect. And he looks and he says, be content with what you've been given. And I'll be careful here. Because the Lord has given a lot and the Lord has given weakness. He hasn't just provided the things we think are good. The Lord has actually given weakness. And He has given sorrow. And He has given sickness. I'll be careful. I have not had cancer. 
my wife has not had cancer? I have not had a child die? And out of His kindness and the knowledge of the frame of the way He has made you, He calls you and I as His, you and us, He calls us as His people. As the one who has withheld no good thing from those who fear Him and those whom He loves, He calls us to be content. And if you are at this point at a place of saying, I don't know how to get there. I think you're in good company. It's not easy, is it? It's not easy to settle a heart in the providence of the way God has framed your life and what He's given you to be content, is it? Which is why I think He goes to the source of contentment next. See, He calls His people to be at ease and at home with what He has given and what He has withheld. And He says this as the, as the reason and the source of contentment. For He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Because He promises to be your helper. And if He's your helper, what in the world can you fear? If He's with you, what can you fear? And this is the strange thing. <coughs> The thing that will actually help you and I to be content is the presence of God. You know, I'm amazed. The older I get, the more I see that the Bible answers hard and complicated problems with fairly simple answers. It doesn't mean that they're not deep answers, but I'm amazed. This is what God gives you and I. What will make you content? The presence of God and His fatherly care with you. Now just think about it. Like, my son is about to be out of this stage, and I think he did he go to children's church? Yeah, he's not in here. So I can tell the story. I, I think he's out, I think he's about to get out of this stage. But he is still at this stage, right? When he wakes up in the middle of the night and he's had a bad dream. And you hear him kind of yelling from the other room and you hear his footsteps kind of coming towards your room. And as he gets in the room, you can kind of hear sometimes that fear in his voice. And he comes and he comes to the bed and he says, Dad, I had a bad dream. And what is Dad's response? Come here, buddy, climb up. He climbs up and he sticks his chest, his head on your chest. And he falls asleep and he's at ease and he's at peace and he's content. Why? Because dad is near. And if it's true in that, how much more true is it when the God of all heaven and earth who has provided and made all things, who has provided your own salvation, he is with you. Look, the language that that God uses at this point actually would have been especially helpful to the hearers. Because that language was this covenant language of promise. The God who promises that He is with His people. The God from the Old Testament who has said that thing time and time again. The God who has actually showed up 
when there seems to be no human means of provision. Right? The God who said that He will be with His people and be their God and will never leave them nor forsake them, that would have rung in the hearts and minds of the Hebrew people. Right? Because this is the God who when they came out of Egypt and had their back against the Red Sea and the Egyptian army bearing down on them and had no place to go, saw God with them and God do a work and God provide for them. That language would have meant a lot to them. In the God of that old, distant Old Testament, those stories of old that at times we wonder whether or not they have anything to do with it. That God, He's the same God today as He was then. He's with His people and this is the interesting thing. It's not just that His presence is with us. It's that the presence is the provision. The provider is the provision. It is the reminder this day that the Lamb of God has come and He has laid down His life and He has called Himself many things. He is the bread of life. He is the one who satisfies your soul out of His rich love for you. Jesus is present with His people here and now. He is with you today in all His love, in all His kindness, in all His fierce protection, in all His kingly warrior protection and love for His people. Right? It is the God who has come out of love and laid down Himself. And if He has given you Jesus, how much will He not give you all things? I think that there's a help with my unbelief at this point. Look, it may be that you are this morning here and you are saying, I hear the words. I hear them. They are hard to believe. I think that's an honest place to be. I think that's an okay place to be. I think you and I come to a God who is big enough to hear that thing where we say, Jesus, I have heard it, I have heard it, I have heard it. You're with me. And I barely feel it. And all I would do would point you to the same author who wrote the call to contentment, who a little earlier says that there is grace in our hour of need. And because of that, He is able to draw us onward so that we might Respond to His call by giving you more of Himself. Guys, you see, it is the delight of God to give you Himself. He delights to give you. He delights to fill you. He delights to make you content. He delights to make Himself beautiful in your eyes. He delights to do those things. So, if you want to call for more, call. Be greedy. Right? Call for His presence. Call for Him to fill you. Call for Him to show you His beauty. Call for Him to make Jesus and His presence and His goodness holy good. Call out for it. And He'll do it. It may be that you're here this morning and you are thinking, I'll be honest, I don't know what I think about Jesus. And I don't know if He's worth kind of giving myself to. 
But I think in this call to contentment and the promise of His presence, what He's trying to communicate to you this morning is, is that if you live a life that attempts to fill yourself up and desire every and other thing, then your heart being filled with the contentment of Him, beloved, I promise you it will not work. It will all slip through your fingers. And life itself will slip through your fingers. But if you will find your rest in the contentment that comes by His presence, you will find real contentment. And because of that, because He's our portion, because He's our cup, because He really is one that fills us, we can confidently say that the Lord really is our helper. That we as His people, we won't fear. What can God, what can man do to us? What can man take from us? Nothing. Let's pray. Father, we come and we do desire that very thing. We do. We desire to be satisfied with the love of God. In our lives, we desire, O oh God, as Your people, to know the fullness that Your presence brings. We desire, O oh Lord, to be content even as we face difficult things. Lord, we desire to be free from that sneaky little thing that always calls our heart to say, if we just had more, we'd be happy. God, we are greedy for Your presence. Feed us on Jesus. Feed us on the bread of life. Fill us up, O oh God. Help us, O oh Lord, to be satisfied. Make us to know the fullness of the glory of God that is ours through the person of Jesus. Make Him beautiful to us. Please, kind sir. Because we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away, won't you chase my fears away?